at the way the Nationals have face planted almost from game one. And, and <laughs> yeah, I, we, we might as well call it what it is in, in 2020. The Nationals are 2020-ing all over the damn place. But, but looking at that, are you at least kind of happy and grateful that they ran through the finish line last year that you know that, okay, at least this group took advantage of it. And now if we're at the end, so be it. I was beyond grateful that we had that moment because I knew that it was just that a moment as much as I love how this team was crafted last year and how they came together into this like real magical story within the annals of baseball. I knew the next day that, you know, it it was, it was a fleeting moment, honestly, like obviously Rendon was going to, was going to be out. There's no way they were going to, he was going to stay there, especially with them, you know, giving Strauss the money that he got. Um, And as much as I love their rotation, uh, there's a, there's a certain condition with free agent pitchers that go to Washington and have a really good, like first, first or second year there. They have this drop. I call it the Gio Gonzalez effect. They have this, they have this like severe drop off in like year three Hmm. or year two. Like, they, if they have a stellar season, the next season is just going to be Drex. And, like, I'm not going to fault Anibal Sanchez for anything this year. Like, he brought the team together with Baby Shark last year and <laughs> gave us a magical run that was, in my honest opinion, as good as he is, exceeds even his own expectations, I think, in many ways. But it came back down to earth super fast. And it, came, it reverted back to the Nationals structure that I am very – familiar with like good bats good clutch hitting from time to time not ungodly like we saw um during the playoffs last year but then the pitching um is always uh does it a disservice which is a bummer because you still have guys like max scherzer on that rotation that you feel are tried and true and can carry through some kind of through line there. But, you know, it's just, you look at the good things, you look at the Juan Soto's and the Trey Turner's of the world, and you just wait until they can get that next free agent pitching signing to uh, give you another baby shark, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, honestly, if you're looking for a solution to the Gio Gonzalez effect, I've got a pretty good one and that's just pitch him against the Cubs. Cause Gio Gonzalez, I, I think is, approach pushing 40 at this point and his fastball may be hitting like 88 89 and the cubs still can't touch him that he has owned them like doc gooden level ownage from day one regardless of how good he is anywhere else or what team he is on like he's on the brewers this year and a couple times craig council has brought Gio gonzalez into the game in mid mid game and you realize okay i guess we're just not going to score now for the rest of this because it's going to be gonzalez then it's going to be hater and unless you got jason hayward being superman uh for one one time uh then yeah you got nothing else like that so so yeah if anibal sanchez in years going forward when you can actually play the nl central again pitch him against the cubs and he will dominate every time and honestly, with, with Sanchez, it, it felt a little bit like he has already had his renaissance by being as good as he was last year. And oh, definitely. those renaissances are really only so long for guys at his age. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like, I, I'm glad that he had his moment. And, and you know, I'm sure there will be some, some uh, little peaks at that, that sort of thing in the next couple of years or so from him. But I just, I think everybody knew that there was going to be a come down there's going to be a depressant period coming off of such a huge high that as winning that championship was last year and and washington baseball fans are extremely familiar with depressant periods yeah <laughs> are, are they going to be planning on signing a free agent this offseason because i know that the learners are kind of, i mean they're super rich but they're also kind of weird with being super rich i mean i think there's definitely a possibility um especially now that you know, they they made their big money deal coming into the season. They always tend to make at least one mid to big money deal heading into different seasons. And especially now when they still have, you know, if you just get the rotation right and maybe shore up the, the back, like not necessarily the back end of the bullpen, but like, you know, the mid, middle of the bullpen, um, you can make another run at this. Like the Braves are really the, well, I guess now the Marlins too. Like yeah. those two, so, 
where the hell did the Marlins come from? Uh, I, they, is... Like every, every other time that they're good every 20 years, they, <laughs> they come from the very bowels of hell, unfortunately. <laughs> Contract that team. There is no good use for the Marlins. Nobody is excited that they're good. Just move them to Montreal. Yeah, my they God. Team. Yeah, revenge on Jeff Loria. It all, it all comes around, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> I'm so into that idea. No, but like, really, like in the in, in the East, in the NL East, like the Braves and the Marlins are the, really the only two teams that could give them a run. Like, I like the Phillies. The Phillies are not the Phillies. Their 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 construction just doesn't like bode well for the long haul to me personally. Um, and that's what you get when you pay that much money for Bryce Harper. Um, so if they can just get some pitching fixes in there, like they could make another. I don't know if they'll win another championship, but they could definitely do some damage in that NL East right now because the Braves, like as good as they are, they still have a lot of growing pains. They have, like their team is like fairly young um, mm-hmm. and still trying to find their way. And I'm glad that they, as much as the Braves have been a thorn in my personal side <laughs> for 30 plus years now, um, I, I'm glad to see that the the youth movement there is actually like producing something for that for that city because i still love atlanta even if Braves fans are insufferable um <laughs> but but yeah like they have i think they could i don't know who it would be personally i haven't really looked at who's like coming up whose contracts are coming up or anything like that really um but yeah i think they can make a move i i, I think it's you have to make a move because at least for a starter you know yeah and I think this offseason is going to be so bizarre just because, I mean, we all know that the owners are kind of colluding to suppress salaries to begin with. And now with COVID-19 giving them an excuse not to pay anyone, there's going to be not just free agents, but a whole lot of non-tenders and guys just looking for one-year deals in the markets. And yeah, I honestly haven't really looked at it either just because I think it's going to explode and we really have no idea the, the sheer volume of players we're going to be dealing with at this point. So sure. Yeah. True, but at the same time, I mean, I don't mean to cut you off there, but at the same time, though, like, you know, everybody is out there touting the extra 200 to 300 million dollars we're getting from all of these extra playoff games. Like, that's okay, you're getting that money. Where are you going to? I know that there have been costs and, and stuff that have come because of COVID and everything, but still got some extra capital there. Where are you going to put it? Yeah. You know, so, like, that argument holds only so much weight to me personally. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because. That. And any amount of thinking when you see stories about the new deal they signed with Turner, for instance, you, you know how much baseball owners are going to be raking in, but you still have them giving public pronouncements like Tom Ricketts infamous losing biblical amounts of money from this past off season. So apparently the reason why that the entire Western part of the country is on fire and we're suffering from this plague of pandemic across the country is because Tom Ricketts is making enough on the marquee sports network and God is punishing us for it. So, sorry. so I can blame so I can blame Tom Ricketts for what's yes. happening outside my window yes. right now. Blame cool. Ricketts for everything. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I can go. To, I'm gonna. Where's I don't, my partners aren't in the room, or else I would inform <laughs> them of the good news that we have. A, you know, a straw man to throw all of our anger at right now. Um, which honestly, Tom Ricketts, awesome example of a straw <laughs> man to throw all of your anger onto in the baseball world. Yeah, honestly, well, like, uh, I. I it, not just even a straw man. If you want to throw Tom Ricketts onto the fire as as a sacrifice to the pagan gods, I am all for it at this point. It's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, we're we're kind of done with that family. And on that cheery and upbeat note, hey, let's open this mother here. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 44. Dig this, the Henry Aaron and the Anthony Rizzo episode of Three Strikes You're Out, because... You can't leave either of those out. Baseball legend, all-time great, former home run king, Henry Aaron. And if Anthony Rizzo, not the best Cub of all time, but I think there's a good argument, the most important Cub of all time at this point. So you got to kind of honor both with that. But the other voice you are hearing on this, the other end of this, my name is Ken Schultz, by the way, contributing writer for Outsports, Baseball Prospectus, and stand-up comedian in Inertia. The other voice you are hearing is a fellow host on the Outsports Podcast Network of LGBT in the Ring every Thursday here, and one of my out- fellow Outsports contributors, Brian Bell, joining me. Thank you for coming back, good sir. You are officially a friend of the pod. 
I I accept that title with <laughs> all of the humility that I can in conveying my booming voice, according to our editor. Uh, <laughs> so no, no, I'm I'm stoked to be back. Like, I really enjoyed chatting all things nationals last time we were on here and and i'm excited to talk all things covid baseball now because we're i mean this has been an interesting little little period here yeah um, yeah I, I'm, I'm just excited yeah covid <laughs> baseball really anything to get us off of the depression that is nationals 2020 so yeah fair enough we can dive right into that and actually before we do i kind of wanted to, to pay you a compliment i was listening to the episode today with uh russell rogue on lgbt in the ring which oh. is an entertaining delight of a person first of all just like the just the sheer energy you get from him and and the commitment to racial and bisexual and social justice issues is is really impressive and i wanted to note that you know as someone who knows nothing at all about indie wrestling i'm sad that he turned heel just from what i learned on the program just because the idea of a wrestler named dewey decimal is the most joyous thing i've heard all week <laughs> I, you know what? Wrestling has a long history of, of names and, and gimmicks that play off of things in the, some of the most cheeky ways possible. And like, while I will say I'm, I'm in agreement with Russell, like watching the Dewey Decimal character in, like, play out and then seeing where Russell is gone with his character now, um, I'm glad that Dewey is gone. But yes, if you look on name value, yes. It is very much out of like the late 80s, early 90s era of like everyone having a job outside of wrestling. Very Duke the Dumpster Drossy yes. style stuff going on here there. Yeah. yeah. I love Russell. Russell's a treat. I love sitting down with Russell and just chatting, not even for the show, just having conversations here and there. It's yeah, outstanding. It, was, it was a wonderful and entertaining interview and I'm, I'm really glad you were able to book him. That, that was a great listen. So, oh, Thank you. You're quite welcome. And uh, yeah, so from a happy note, yeah, let's go into pandemic baseball here. And as we kind of made reference uh, in the cold open of the show. Uh, so first of all, you're living as listeners of your show know. You live in Portland with your partner out there. Um, so how is breathing, I guess, is <laughs> the first thing I should ask. Well, unfortunately, the video does not go up for the show, but I can show you that I have my inhaler at all times <laughs> on my person. Mm -hmm. uh, I also, before we started recording here, made sure to note that my air purifier that is running um, in the back of my office here is not showing up on the audio, which is good because I need that fucker right now. <laughs> um, let's, put, let's put it this way. Like right now, we've been dealing with some terrible, terrible, you know, the wild, obviously the wildfires, the devastation out here, almost a million acres have burned in Oregon alone. Um, which is double the entire fire season from last year. God damn. It's just ridiculous. And, but, you know, while Portland isn't really in danger of the fires um, throughout this whole thing, we have gotten all the smoke. You know, at, at one point we had the worst air quality in the world Jeez. Um, for a time period there. Like if you, I, the AQI has become a, a thing that I just throw out without thinking about what it stands <laughs> for. <laughs> um, which is a new thing for me. Um, yeah. And we've been hovering like either very unhealthy or hazardous or, um, and this is especially uh, frightening, off of the index at differing times for the past week or so here. So it's mm. been, it's been trying to say the least, but I mean, we've been staying safe. We've been staying indoors and trying our best to keep everything outside, outside. So, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things where you just have to sit and wait, and the sitting and waiting is the worst part, and knowing mm. what else is happening out there. So we're very fortunate in, in the fact that we are able to stay safe during all of this. Nice. I'm very glad to hear that. And I feel bad about where I'm about to take this conversation, but my brain can't help but suggesting this. Uh, a, a new nickname for Portland, if I might, Artisanal Beijing. You know what? We have a pretty dope Chinatown here, so nice. we'll take it. Nice. Yeah. That works. Uh, yeah. And on the subject, I'll, I'll workshop it with the people on 82nd Ave. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on the subject of uh, cities engulfed in the smoky aftermath of the wildfires out west, uh, in the most Rob Manfred decision possible, at the beginning of this past week on Monday, the Oakland A's and the Seattle Mariners decided to try to play a doubleheader 
in conditions that can only be described as staring into the smoky maw of hell at T-Mobile Park in Seattle, that when <laughs> you're in a, at a park in Seattle and you look out left field and you realize the, you can't see anything in Seattle, like, that's a problem. And baseball's solution to this, which is the most baseball thing in the world, they looked at it and said, uh, put the roof on and play ball. <laughs> Despite the fact that T-Mobile Park, even with the roof on, roof on, is an open air ballpark. So you just have cover on a smoky atmosphere. And the A's and M's played 14 innings with this. And A's starter, I, I wrote this down, Jesus Lizardo told the media he was gasping for air while having to, to try to pitch and having to, to get out major league hitters. And yes, the Mariners do still qualify technically as major league hitters. But how do you feel as a resident of Portland when you see, when, I mean, you, you said you have not been outside since last Friday and you see people in very similar conditions having to compete in two baseball games in this. Um, uh, anger uh, as an understatement, yeah, I think, a little bit. is the general emotion. Like, just frustration in general with why – with MLB, first off, why would they leave that decision up to the teams themselves? Like, that, that's the thing. It's like you want to be a governing body of the sport. You want to make sure – you've done so much, according to, to yourself, to make sure that playing these games are safe amid COVID, even though your plan has – failed multiple times throughout mm -hmm. that to the point where the Cardinals have the make up like eight games before everything finishes up here. Um, and at the same time, you see some, uh, a condition where um, you have these smoky skies where the air quality, uh, I think prior to first pitch of game one, the air quality tested uh, around 225, yeah. which um, according to AQI, because I have this, <laughs> memory now uh the aqi that puts it at very unhealthy um which uh, honestly anything above 200 most people that buy is not doing any like major physical exertion outside even if you are a top tier athlete like yeah. many of these pro uh, professional players are so like it was just frustrating to see they would still continue with that and then to see some of the players and team personnel downplay it in the way that it did like i'm glad that lazardo was out there talking about it and and really expressing how it was impacting him but at the same time you had like scott service out there like in between the games of the double header basically saying like yeah we didn't really notice it like all my, all my guys are out there playing catch and playing hacky sack on the field in between games and like we don't we we close the roof it's fine like oh. cool you 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 used it you put an open air stadium and put the roof on it so you decrease the airflow in your open air stadiums. So you just keep the smoke in as opposed to any chance of. The only fix here was not to play these games. And I, it was incredibly frustrating to see that they went through with it. I'm glad that they ultimately made the decision to postpone the San Francisco series up there, but too little too late like i just do not understand where manfred's um priorities lie at this point yeah i i have this this theory and it's it's only my theory but it's it's from just kind of observing the way that he's approached covid19 outbreaks with the marlins and, and the cardinals and i think rob manfred heard so much criticism about how baseball was on the verge of canceling the season and where was the leadership when covid19 was running rampant in those locker rooms that I think he's decided that the definition of leadership is making sure every team in baseball plays the 60 games in their schedule this year come hell or high water. Because, I mean, you know the American League playoff picture as well as I do. That's pretty much settled at this point. Like, we know the A's are getting in. They're six and a half up on the Astros as of today. We know the Mariners are going to miss it because they're still in a full-on rebuild at this point. They're getting better, but they're not close to uh, even, I think, the, the eighth seed in the American League. So I think it's really just the symbolism of making sure that every team fulfills the schedule commitments that will make Rob Manfred look back at the end of the year and tell the media, hey, you said I couldn't get this done, but I brought in the ship. And I think that means that sometimes it, 
like with the Cardinals, you're scheduling, you know, eight double headers in the span of three weeks or like with the A's and, and M's. That means you're going to be playing these games because they're on the schedule and I'm the commissioner and what I say goes and I need to show somebody that apparently I'm strong. I love that what he says goes whenever it comes to like universal DH yeah. or like making sure the games get played. But as a, but you know, we can totally just pawn off this decision onto the teams and, and the, their personnel whenever it comes to one of the most devastating wildfire seasons <laughs> we've seen in the country's history. Yeah. And, and again, that that's also in line with everything he's done this year because you remember the story of when COVID-19 first started circulating through the Marlins clubhouse and the word got out that after I think four players tested positive in the first week of the season, that baseball left it up to a players only vote in Philadelphia uh, when the Marlins were in Philadelphia and specifically the Marlins shortstop, I guess was the one to convince everybody to go back out in the field and play despite the positive tests. So yeah, it seems like Manfred wants what he says goes, but he also is kind of reserving these players' decisions just in case shit hits the fan and stuff goes wrong so we can point and say, well, really, that's, it's, it's on them because, you know, they, they're, they're on the field. They should know better. I left it up to them. So he's trying to have both worlds and really is coming off like the pathetic leader that he is in either case. No, and I, and I get it. The commissioner's job in in theory well not to say in theory but in writing is like to like advocate on behalf of the the owners in a lot of ways but at the same time like if you want to act like you like rule this league and that you are trying to push this league and do something better or trying to like show that this league can persevere like you don't leave those decisions up to the people that are out there because like the old adage goes athletes will play no matter what like they like broken bones it could be tornadoes outside i remember when i was playing like little league football Mm -hmm. if there was a lightning storm and they canceled games because you know you don't play football during a lightning storm like i wanted to still play because i was a dumb 12 year old (laughs) and and like so many like that mentality stays with you as an athlete not to say that athletes are dumb at all but like that that it's beat it's like trained into you to, to to have that sort of attitude there so of course they're going to play if you give them any inkling of an opportunity to like with the circumstances that the season's being played under right now like manfred needs to be at the forefront taking hold of the reins and leading the league that he says he's leading but actually just letting a whole bunch of things just fly all over the place and actually do what you say you're doing to the press as opposed to just going out there and saying like yeah we're we would like some of the ideas here and they seem to be pretty popular now yeah. Um, and in, in terms of, uh, I mean, you, you see what he wants in terms of his goals with this year, that it, it's, it's all about getting to the postseason just so that the owners can start making that postseason money from the Turner contract that we referenced earlier that they just signed. And player health has very clearly taken a backseat to it, both in the sense of dealing with the pandemic and dealing with the wildfires and when you talk about Tim, you know, going to the press and, and trumpeting the innovations, and I'm sure he's going to be calling them innovations going forward, not just changes that are temporary for this year. And you look at the way that he's kind of touting the expanded playoffs for this year before they've even started. You can kind of see what his game plan is, that this is, this is something that's also going to bring substantial financial windfall for the owners going forward. So he really wants to kind of get, a, get us used to the fact that this is something that was introduced as an experiment, but they're really going to try, come hell or high water, to probably make it permanent. You, you see it in quotes that leaked out from, uh, I guess he was talking to uh, Hofstra Business College this past weekend. And on Twitter, the quote hits uh, something along, along lines of, the overwhelming majority of clubs had endorsed the idea before COVID hit. And as a result, this is talking about expanded playoffs, I think it hopefully will become a permanent part of our landscape. And I look at that and I go, ah, like you don't even give it a shot on the field to see what like any actual side effects toward the, toward the playing of the games are before you proclaim that this is a brilliant idea and that ownership has wanted this all along. And 
as someone who came of age in baseball in the 80s and early 90s when there were only four teams making the playoffs, um, the idea of a permanent 16-team playoff system, it, there's something about it really doesn't sit right with me. That in, in a, a season, especially this year, given that it's a gimmicky 60-game season, like a lot of people, I was kind of like, yeah, sure, let's see what it is, fine. This just seems kind of fun. Tournament baseball, let's go for it anyway. I really feel like during a full season, in 162 games for a lot of teams, if you're going to have expanded playoffs, right around like early to mid-July, you're going to have a lot of teams who are running away with divisions, looking at this and going, why are we still trying our hardest? And that seems to me like it's going to be a big problem going forward. No, it, it definitely is. And, you know, I th- when this idea of, of going to 16 teams, like, I, I, I think it stood opposite of a number of baseball fans that I knew, like, growing up, um, as well as, like, people in the baseball media in that, like, I don't necessarily, like, directly or directly oppose or completely dismiss, like, some of the evolutions of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, the playoff structure is the one thing that you don't need to mess with. Like, I, even, like, I can get behind the wild card thing, though the wild card game, although I would say if you want a three-game series, make that the three-game series. Yes. You know, 100%. And, and go with that. But, like, I just – it's the same argument that many people have about the NBA playoffs, where you have 16 teams make it from there, where, like, you have, like, that eight seed, like, really what are they going to do? What mm-hmm. – what are they what does that accomplish at all like looking at the the way the the teams are set up right now you have like in the eight spot the al you got houston two games under 500 and the eight spot in the in the nl you got cincinnati one game under 500 <laughs> and, and really what does everybody in baseball want more than bringing the astros back in the playoffs you know they should be rewarded at this point although to be fair depending on which bubble location they end up at that could that could be fun um, I don't know. Well, no, because then you still don't even have fans in the stands to boo them. So no, <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, throw it, throw them out, throw it out. Doesn't matter. All that um, matters to the Astros as long as the trash cans are fully stereo or sterilized. I was about to say stereotype, which makes no <laughs> sense at all. Uh, yeah, either way. Yeah, I got through ninety percent of that joke. Damn it! All right. <laughs> um, but and so this is kind of what I'm getting at with, and, and I, I think you, you're hitting on nail on the head, especially by noting the two teams with records under 500 here is that I like when making the playoffs is hard. And I, and especially in a baseball season where over 162 games, and this is the, the English major me, the pretentious English major coming out, but it always feels like an epic novel and an epic journey. And the, this, this unending quest, because especially by August, it really does feel unending. But if you're one of the lucky teams who's, who's good and fortunate enough, even in kind of expanded playoffs where you have, you know, the, the one wild card or the two wild cards, it still feels like when you actually clinch, that is such a huge accomplishment that you have locker room celebrations just for clinching the playoffs. And I think I always thought that's so great. Like my, some of my favorite childhood memories of the Cubs were just winning the division in 89 and watching the highlights of winning the division in 84 and just seeing the release and the utter joy in the players, knowing that they made this season just a little bit extra worth it uh, without even accomplishing the goal that they wanted first and foremost, but it still felt special. And those teams in retrospect are still special. And the idea that a playoff berth could be viewed as run of the mill now is, is kind of disgusting to me, honestly. No, I'm right there with you. Like, I think, like baseball and probably football are probably the two sports where the, the playoff narrative are the strongest, I would say. And really with football, even the only real, like, real one that stands up to some of the ones that have played out in recent years in, in Major League Baseball would be like the, the run that the Giants had when they knocked off the Patriots and into their undefeated season a number of years back. Um, but like I, the minute that you brought up like playoff narratives and like these, this, the epicness that comes with some of these things, I go right to game 162. Yes. Game 162, Tampa Bay Rays, Devin yes. Longoria, walk oh, off. Like that moment is like, it's, I'm not even like the largest Rays fan. I mean, I am a Rays fan, but like, I, I'm not like, you know, diehard or anything. But at the same time, like that moment 
forever etched in my brain like watching watching that like that or even like going back to growing up in atlanta like it, i know it's a playoff series but moments like sid bream um and they get that call from um oh why is the name a skip no not skip oh uh, why is the name Harry. escaping me here yeah yeah carrie um yeah. carrie harry's son yeah. Car- yes 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 there we go i i don't know why i was like chip and skip i always get them mixed up <laughs> anyway <laughs> So, but yeah, like yeah, like those those kind of iconic calls, those kinds of like catharsis, that that release of emotion, um, that really like sear themselves into the into your mind. Like that that's only something you get whenever playoff berths are at a at a premium. Yeah. And to open this up to where like, a t- like a Cincinnati Reds team who has not been on my radar at all this season because like they've never they haven't not outside of Joey Votto chasing a batting title here and there they haven't given you any form anything to pay attention to really in the past like decade or so personally yeah. so like I just can't I it, it does you don't feel that excitement watching this play out it's this I feel like this is going to end up getting reduced down to like the first round playoff series in the NBA where like the four or five matchup is fun and no one really pays attention to the other ones unless you're just like intrinsic watching every position, diehard focused, like breaking down every little thing on a Bill Simmons podcast. (laughs) That's really the only time you're going to pay attention to a first round basketball series. And I do not want to see baseball go down this path at all. Well, you're, you're going to get like two very bad options from that, or what you just described in terms of a typical NBA, essentially a squash match uh, in the first round. Or you will occasionally, because baseball is also weird and random, especially in very short series like three gamers, you'll get a dominant one seed where like, you know, this year's Dodgers, for instance, will enter and will end up in like a normal season like a 110-win Dodger team could very easily lose to a 75-win team. And if they lose to a 75-win team, there's a 100% chance it's going to be the fucking Cardinals because, of course, it will be. And I know it, and I, I, I will, I'm pre-loathing it right now because you know that shit is going to happen. Oh, of course. I mean, I'm looking, just looking at the way it's set up right now, like we could see that this year with Houston and the White Sox. Yeah. Like as good as the White Sox have been, like they, they honestly – are probably one of the the stories of this shortened season in in many ways and just seeing how they have like just like risen out of some ashes that i did not even know existed up there you kind of um but houston oh i'm sorry yeah can you am i good now you're back you're back okay cool but like yeah looking at how good chicago has been this year like houston still is fairly stacked they just have not been playing that well um this go around and they could very easily take out a team that has had a truly magical run here and ruin one of the better stories to come out of this COVID season yeah one of the best stories and one of the most fun rosters in baseball right now would lose to the Astros who nobody wants to see do anything uh and let's jump from that uh to I guess use the one of the fun stories in baseball as our segue point here uh, to your other kind of beloved team, because I mean, the Nats are not doing much this year, but uh, as I wrote to you uh, on the Twitter message, the Tampa Bay Rays are, and I'm going to be pandering again to your podcast, the beasts from the AL East with their main squeeze, Luna Vachon. Yes, guy, I love a good Bam Bam reference. I Absolutely. love it. Love it. Take me back to my childhood. Uh, but they're both the beasts because they've got a over 600 winning percentage. But right now, I'll, I also get the sense that they're also kind of just hanging on because all of a sudden this past week, the Yankees decided to score 18 runs a game, and they're now three back at Tampa. So, are I mean, they're going to make the playoffs regardless, and there's really very little reward to winning the division. So on the one hand, you don't have a lot to worry about, but are you feeling any... Uh, tension with the Yanks kind of creeping up on you still just uh, a little bit a little bit um I would feel a lot less tension if uh Adamas could get out of his slump mm-hmm. right now uh that would be nice because like as much as Brandon Lowe has been a godsend uh <laughs> an odd odd godsend this season <laughs> um I I really want Adamas to get back his bat going again obviously just to give some comfort there uh but even then like the just if you told me that with double-digit 
games left in the season that the Rays would have a chance to clinch a playoff spot today. Yeah. At, like they do now. Like I, there would be, I, no utter shock. I would, uh, you're, it's just a ridiculous thing to even think about. So like, I'm writing this, I'm, I'm writing this as, as much as I can. Like the Yankees, yes, the Yankees are always a danger, but you know, and I don't know if you can really contribute this to the expanded playoff thing as well, but there's not as much anxiety about it because of the eight team field. Mm-hmm. I would say, obviously, you want the Rays to win the division because that's still a feather in your cap, even though it doesn't really benefit you that much going into the playoffs this year. But yeah, it would be an awesome thing to be able to to raise a division banner. Like even if, even if they don't end up completing what they need to do in the postseason and then winning a title, um, that would be a real accomplishment. And I, and I would be happy with that right now the same way like the nationals last year like i was happy they made the playoffs i had no clue what they were going to do that even that they would make it to the world series and like that was just everything after that was just dessert and so far um i'm just waiting for more dessert and we'll see how much i get but yeah i've really enjoyed watching this team this this season it's been fun they seem like for the past couple years that they've this really fun amalgamation of prospects and random casts offs that they find have this this special skill set that the Rays are so good at tapping into uh and they always have especially when they get good now it seems like the Rays always have like this roster of guys where I have to at the end of the season look at the stats and realize oh no that guy's good now okay because yeah Brandon Lau as you mentioned is this year's cliff notes oh I guess I should learn about him because I'd heard the name before but I didn't realize he would be kind of the main piece of their lineup going for going forward for this season. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody really did. Like, I know he put up some, some good numbers last year. Yeah. Um, in like half a season's worth of games, but it, honestly, they're comparable to what he's doing now. Like, so there's some consistency there, but he's still so, so young in terms of like major league seasons and not really knowing what you're going to get there. And he's never really been like, a standout in that way. Like he wasn't a, a highly touted prospect like your Evan Longoria's. He wasn't one of those casts off that really found their, their footing in, in Tampa and really rose to prominence. Like, you know, like Carl Crawford back in the day, you know, like it's, it's been really, really interesting to see him evolve into a player that can be counted on day in, day out, even if it is at the expense of my nationals over the past couple of days. Yeah. But, but still like, you know, I, it's been really fun to to watch that growth happen there and to see the Rays continue to find a way to like build a team out of whatever they can find in the scrapyard. Mm-hmm. It's just it's become an ethos for that team <laughs> at this point. And oh, yeah. you know, like you joked in our conversations online prior to the show here, like there's always a guy that seems to come out of nowhere. And, and Brandon's been that this year and I am all, I'm here for it. Um, and it's really fun to see that happen on a team that has a, like multiple guys like that this year. Like, like you mentioned Adamus, like mm-hmm. he, I didn't expect him to have the consistency that he's had um, this year, even though he's like in the slump that he's in right now, even somebody like the fact Okay, this is this is probably the the most defining thing for the Rays season for me in recent games. The fact that Ryan Yarborough got his first win in 16 games hmm. last night, or not last night, the night before, uh, the first game against the Nationals. Like just the fact that even Ryan Yarborough is finding something positive to say um, <laughs> coming out of parts of the season like is outstanding because like Ryan Yarborough, I love him. He's he's. Great reliever. I don't necessarily know if I buy him as a as a starter long term, but um, sometimes everything hits on all cylinders. And if Yarborough can do that, and you have all these other players that are doing what they're doing, like I just I've really enjoyed watching them come together again. And I don't know. It's in some ways it's surprising. In some ways it's not. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Ryan Yarborough. Honestly, the the only thing that that comes to mind when you mention him is that if you could factor handsomeness into war, Ryan Yarbrough would be winning the goddamn Cy Young. 
yo. Yes. <laughs> uh, regardless of his performance on the field, he is always a happy watch. And what do you want it, from that? It's in on the way that the Rays are kind of operating this year in terms of starting pitching. What's interesting to me is that going into this year, everyone thought the strength would be the front end starters. And really looking at the way they're doing it, you're getting a, a solid year out of Lake Snell, but you're really kind of getting, you know, decent but not incredible years out of Glasnow and Morton. And it seems like what's really doing the job for them is that bullpen depth again. That's between the, the Nick Andersons. I mean, you figured Nick Anderson with the numbers he put up last year when he's healthy is, is just so damn dominant. But then also looking at numbers for guys like a, a Diego Castillo or an Andrew Kittredge. Uh, again, guys that you, are, are names that you look at before the year and go, well, maybe I've heard of him, but <laughs> you look at what they're producing for him and that's what they built their team around. And I'm sure that their front office gets such a kick out of that, that year after year of, of turning anonymity into, if not dominance, at least consistent contention. Oh, definitely. I mean, just even look at it, like a guy like Peter Fairbanks, like who's become one of the best setup guys, hmm. one of the best like seventh, eighth inning guys out there in, in the league right now. It's been awesome to watch. And like Glasnow and and um, and Morton, yeah, they're having somewhat disappointing seasons. I would say, like I, I really hate to see Morton's ERA above five right now. Mm-hmm. That's just, ugh. but like Glasnow is at least he's at least been giving you the strikeouts. Yeah. So like it's it's still there. Like, but. I don't know. I feel like a lot of pitching staffs are, I don't know if it's necessarily like the, the speed that we're having to go through to get this season done or just like the lack of preparation ahead of COVID or just everything. Everybody's like internal calendar being thrown out of whack in terms of just how yearly progression goes for, for a baseball player. Like the year, like the offense has been high. Like, you joke about, like, the Yankees scoring, like, 20 runs this past weekend. Like, yeah. Like, that's – I feel like that's what I've seen more from the league this season. Um, it's definitely more of an offensive season. And so, like, at the, at the end of the day, like, the ERAs, they, like, the numbers, just knowing where, where I've been from, they, like, pop out at me. But they don't seem that abnormal compared to how the game is looking right now. And – you know, I think them sticking with with the opener has been working fairly well for them as well. Uh, I don't, they they just find ways to win games, and that's yeah. the best kind of teams that I love watching. It's just like, mm-hmm. what are they gonna do today? <laughs> what tricks do they have up their sleeve? <laughs> yeah, it, it keeps you it keeps you intrigued because yeah, you don't really you can't call their line of attack necessarily ahead of time. So yeah, it's it's it, and really if. Offense is, as you say, up around so much of the league this year. Why the hell didn't someone tell the Cubs until last weekend? Honestly, if someone could have broken the news to Javi or KB or Rizzo, that would have been would have been solid. But, but it seems like they've finally realized that, hopefully, going forward. It all got concentrated in uh, Fernando Tatis Jr.'s bat yeah. out there in San Diego. He, yeah. he stole all of it, so there was less to go around for, for Chicago. Fernando Tatis has stolen the mojo of everybody in Chicago, yeah. Yeah. When the Sox traded him, he took it all away out there. (laughs) But the one thing the Cubs have done well, and I think we'll end, and this is a very self-indulgent ending, so you have to just bear with me here. But uh, when Alec Mills throws a no-hitter, I think you kind of got to celebrate that a little bit. That um, It's the fourth no-hitter that I've seen in the past uh, 12 years, which given that before 2008, the Cubs had not thrown a single no-hitter since 1972. It's impressive, honestly. Um, and this was far and away the one that came completely out of nowhere. Uh, and I love what it says about what you can do in 2020 baseball, because you and I both know that pitching in this game has so heavily concentrated itself on the idea of velocity and elite spin and just blowing guys away with strikeouts over and over and over again. And what you had on Sunday out of Alec Mills was this beautiful old school baseball pitching game of somebody who was hitting 91 at his highest level on the radar gun and was spotting his curveball on both corners of the plate and was mixing up changing speeds in a way that's very, I mean, it's cliche to kind of compare him to Kyle Hendricks just because they're both soft tossing righties. 
but he attacks hitters. And there's a reason why the Cubs were hesitant to pitch them back to back this year, because when they, they, they've said when they pitch one, that means the team knows, okay, this is the game plan for the next guy. So he attacks them with intelligence, command, and just this beautiful style of smart pitching. And this game on Sunday was this really elegant mix of lots of soft contact, very, only five swings and misses, I think, in the entire game. Lots of called strikes. And then whenever they hit it on the nose, that was the luck of either hitting it right at Schwarber and left or right at Hayward and right. And the only really over the top, not even over the top, but above average defensive play was Ian Happ ranging far to his left to catch a deep drive in uh, right center field. But watching this unfold, and especially this year, having that experience again of being able to call my dad in the eighth inning and say, hey, are you watching the Cubs? Because there's something cool going on. Just to have that happen right now is, is just that reminder of baseball can make you feel good. <laughs> and when we got to the end and, and the final out and on the ground ball to Javi Baez, my personal reaction, and I kind of surprised myself with this, wasn't so much a scream of ecstasy as much as just kind of a yelp of delight and then this wonderful, satisfying feeling of watching the celebration of this college walk-on who found his way to the major leagues at, and found his way onto the Cubs because they decided that they were going to look for advantages in soft-tossing guys like him and Hendricks. And to see him pull off this historic feat, it was just this, as I say, incredibly just, you felt good for him. And, and I don't want to overstate this, but almost kind of a moment of goodness for humanity in 2020. And if you can get one of those, I mean, it feels like we were ahead of the game so, so much on that Sunday. And man, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just so glad, so glad he was able to do it. So glad for him. And uh, then apparently when he got home, his wife said that they ordered out from Pequod's Pizza. So now he's pretty much the damn mayor of Chicago at this point. I love it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be frank. Like Mills was not on my radar really um, until this year at all. Like I had never, I'd never really pitched to the name. I never really like really committed it to my brain, but just, he's been outstanding and that and that moment like you said like it in many ways from what, how you describe it how it impacted you it felt like uh it gave you that fleeting sense of normalcy that everybody's been touting about the return to sports that yeah. is supposed to provide and like at this while it hasn't always done that in in the short period of time that we've seen it back like just the fact that it can still deliver that impact for you like that's truly magical because like it makes me like it makes me want to have that moment for myself and like i'm hoping that it comes um <laughs> but but at the same time though i am supremely ecstatic that that you were able to have that it it almost transcends fandom in some yeah. ways yeah it's it's kind of as i say it's it's a good humanity moment in a year where we're just kind of looking for any one of those we could find and I, I also flash back uh, a minute or two afterwards. I, um, my friends, uh, Kevin McCaffrey and Adam Mamawala, friends of the pod, on their podcast, Away Games, during the, uh, during the pandemic shutdown, they had reached out to a number of just random cubs on Twitter and Instagram to see if they could get any to come on. And Alec Mills went on their podcast. They talked to him for a half hour. <laughs> they didn't know this. Uh, he was raised in Tennessee, but he grew up as a cub fan because his dad was a, a huge cub fan before they moved down there. And so as they were interviewing him on the field, all I could think of was this is somebody who really appreciates what this means because now he's put himself in the company of Carlos Zambrano and Jake Arietta twice and going back to like Milt Pappas and random names like Don Cardwell and Sam Jones from my dad's era. And this, this kid who grew up a Cub fan in Tennessee is now going to be forever. He has a forever moment in Cub history. And how neat is that? <laughs> it's... It's incredible, honestly. And, and in many ways, it just made me think about this to tie this back into some of the discussion that we had earlier here, like looking at the tinkering with the playoff schedule and really tinkering with, with the fabric of the game. Like, yes, all games evolve, but at the same time, like there's still a truth that runs through all of them. And, and Alec Mills feels like latching back onto that truth in the midst of a season that has pushed the game and pulled the game in so many different directions, good and bad. 
Um, and it really gives you something to hold on to as a baseball fan to remind you of why you even started watching this in the first place. Yeah. It's truly beautiful. Absolutely. And, and that truth that you mentioned, I think, is one of the things that draws us to baseball the most. And it's that idea of regardless of what your overall talent or skill level is or how hard or soft you throw, just about anybody who makes it to the big leagues has the skill and the, the game has the randomness where one day, if it's all clicking for you, you might be able to have that moment where you just kind of put yourself in the record books forever. And that's, I'm, and that's why, you know, I mean, I've talked about on the podcast, the, my very mixed feelings about forcing all these guys to go show up to work in the pandemic and they're still there, but stuff like that. I mean, you can't help but be thinking, I am glad they're playing this year. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brian Bell, do you have anything to plug while I still got you here? Sure. Um, well, I guess first and foremost, uh, you can read my stuff as well as your stuff at com. Hey, what um, a good idea. Exactly. Always fun to throw uh, our, our, our good, our good uh, place out there. I lost words for a second there. All right. Um, <laughs> not our job to have words. It's okay. No, not at all. We write. We don't. Well, I guess we do talk now. Anyway, um, and then of course, uh, if you want to check out uh, my podcast here on the Outsports Podcast Network, LGBT in the Ring. It's all about queer pro wrestling. Uh, that goes live every Thursday on uh, the Outsports Podcast Network. Just if you're listening to this, you already know where to find it. But if you don't or want to tell somebody else, just search Outsports on any of your uh, podcast providers anywhere that pods pods. Um, and let me think if I have anything else. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I can do this. So I also host uh, a gaming uh, news show. Um, every Monday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, we go live over at twitch.tv slash Entertainment, Sun like the star. Um, and me and a couple of my close friends and Twitch streamers, we host a show called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. We run through the week's gaming news, um, critique, have and offer analysis where needed, and just it's just a fun little two hours there and and we have a lot of fun on that channel we're trying to work on some some new stuff as well like we have like a gaming history show that we're doing on some tuesdays and some play date stuff but yeah i just i'm i'm spreading myself thin it's it's fun (laughs) awesome fun with fun with video games fun with wrestling fun with baseball you're helping us get through these very difficult and trying times uh, or as uh, a lot of the pro wrestling uh, places like to say, unforeseen circumstances. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Uh, that, gotta um, gotta love that WWE talk. The, the pandemic is still the worst thing. That euphemism might be number two, honestly. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, Brian Bell, I am so glad they're playing baseball, and I am so glad we've been talking about it for the past hour. Thank you for joining me, my friend. Thank you for having me.